Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 16, Abby Harper Slate. Abby is a, a friend of mine that um, I first met back in the uh, Punchline days. That's right, we, we're not done with the Punchline people. There's still more stories to be told about those people and about those days. And uh, Abby was the um, it's marketing, sold ads, um, but also brought a whole lot of people into the fold. She was uh, Ryan Muldoon, Cam Denunzio, um, many more I'm sure that I can't remember she was responsible for bringing. Great writers. She knew a lot of cool people. She brought a lot of energy to it. And that is what I remember the most about Abby was her energy and I traveled up to Orange, Virginia where she lives on a farm with her husband and her daughter Harper to find that energy intact Um, and she's just a great lady I really, really enjoyed uh, sitting in her apartment above a restaurant in downtown Orange and talking about life it's good stuff Um, speaking of life I've been getting dealt some lessons by life lately, lessons I thought I already learned, but apparently not. I still have some some blind spots, some things I need to be paying attention to, um, things have been blowing up in my face lately, and, you know, it's not really that big a deal, but um, I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I keep thinking I got this dialed in. I'm not going to piss anybody off. Nobody's going to piss me off. And, uh, you know, that's what I get for thinking. Because there's always something. And I'm just not in control of all the variables. Um, but, you know, there are things. And, I, you know, I try to act like I'm a babe in the woods or I'm naive or I'm totally innocent here. But I've noticed that even if I hold an idea in the back of my head... And just entertain it. I don't even really plan on acting on it. Never do act on it. Um, never do anything that is like according to Hoyle, crossing the line or breaking any rules. Just holding that idea in the back of my head can sometimes cause unwelcome consequences, unfortunate consequences, distasteful consequences for me and uh, I think uh, you know maybe that's going to be the lesson is uh, it's not you know government's not going to come down on the thought crime but I got to keep I got to practice good mental hygiene you know don't even let it don't even let those ideas hang around in there don't even let the notion hang around in there because subconsciously it's just going to come out somehow so hope that was vague enough for you. I like to keep things vague. Um, it's been uh, it's been a good weekend. It rained a lot. It's still raining here in RVA, but um, had some nice times. Some friends caught up. I went around today to kind of talk to people about doing this podcast and look for some support. Try to drum up some support and had a really great afternoon hanging out with some of the people that I want 
to support and have support me have a relationship with. It was fun. And that's enough fun for me now. Let's go to Miss Abby Harper Slate. I'm starting to think about some imaginary audience a little too much, which I don't even really have yeah, per se yeah, yeah. at this point. No, I, t- I know what you mean because I, I, um, I've started dabbling in some fiction writing and as soon as I, f- as soon as I feel like I'm writing for someone to read it, mm-hmm. it shifts. Yeah. It starts to sound PR-ish. Yeah, and, and the real, I think that the real s- secret to uh, all art is that it you're just going to you're go, not going to you know you're not going to make everybody happy and you're not going to keep every audience right. happy and you just have to be being vulnerable. Right. You have to be like basically strong enough to put your most intimate stuff out there, your babies and yeah. have people shit all over them. Yeah. You know, and that's just going to Well, happen. I think that like when <laughs> I read something that's obviously raw and super honest, I I I just have this feeling of oh my god, this person just bared their soul. I'm kind of in awe of that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe we're the kind of people that appreciate that and like take and consider that somewhat sacred. But uh, some people don't. They're just like yeah. they're just going to shit on that. And if you don't have decent boundaries, then right, then you get shat on. Yes, you know? and yes. it hurts, and it might you might not ever do it again. Yeah, you know exactly. I have a, a really good friend of mine actually is a best selling author, and she wrote a memoir about her life, which is in- incredible, and it's it's just unbelievable. Her, her, they were homeless and went through all these crazy things. And I was friends with her before I read this memoir. And finally, when I read it, um, my heart just broke, you know, cause here's someone who I've known and then here she's, you know, shared all these really intimate details of herself. Yeah. But one thing that was really interesting that she said, um, why she felt very f- freed by doing it. Um, was that, that your secrets, the things that you hold on to, they're like vampires. And when you expose yeah. them to the light. It, right. They dry up. They yeah. meet the sun. The, the, the power. They blow away. Yeah. The power they have over you is gone. And, and she said, you know, what was interesting is to start to see other people's reactions to the story and like her parents, because her parents were incredibly, um, you know, neglectful and mm-hmm. they were eating out of garbage cans and, and uh, her parents were hoarding food and not feeding the kids. And so, you know, oh people God. had these like really crazy reactions to her parents. Oh my God, your parents are horrible. And she said she just kind of was neutral to the to the responses. Like she mm-hmm. didn't feel like she had to defend her parents. And she actually her mom lives with her now. And so um, she's a great inspiration she had for a, honesty. A, a decent amount of like detachment around it. I yeah, guess. yeah. That does seem to be the secret. And like I mean, even with something. I mean, when I was writing for Punchline, and by the way, we're talking to Abby um, Harper Slate. Yes. Who was what was your job at Punchline? Were you oh, ad- selling ads, or were you just? We could like do a whole podcast just on my on my role at Punchline. Well, so in my mind, your, what was your official? Let's let's start there. What were you hired to do? Marketing, marketing and sales. Yeah, so you I were, think you were selling ad space and unofficially, right? I was just the bitch, the <laughs> bitch of not the bitch at Punchline, but the bitch of Punchline. Um, yeah, so that was it. Marketing and and sales. But you wore many hats there because you saw a need for other things that needed to be done there too. Because I, I mean, as I'm interviewing people, I'm talking to Ryan and he's like, yeah, my Corin knew 
Abby or was roommates with Abby or something like that. Ryan's sister, Jen, was my Uh roommate in college. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that was the connection there. And where was that? Did you go to VCU? No. Did you go to college? I went to William & Mary. You're not... That's better than VCU, isn't it? No. No, it's not. That's a a complete misunderstanding. Yeah, it's a myth. (laughs) No, it really is. I mean that in all honesty. It's a myth. Well, well, how is this... Like, it just has so much prestige. Yeah, that's it. That's That's exactly right. It's not education. (laughs) you know, I... mm, Um... I, I did go to VCU before I went to William & Mary. I took classes there and then I transferred in. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing about a place like William & Mary and maybe others that, you know, are ranked highly, um, it's very aware of itself. Right. So you've got this, um, this kind of status thing that's sort of separate from the rest of the school. And so, you know, professors think a lot of themselves. And right. Um, at VCU, I, I, the best classes I took in, in college were at VCU. I mean, hands down, it was at VCU. Yeah, you know, that was something that I liked about VCU is that it seemed like the professors there didn't have delusions of grandeur, oh, I guess. Oh, it, it was so, so really, real. It was, so, yeah. it, was, it was based on experience. Yeah. I, I have a, so a great example is I took a poetry class at William & Mary and um, my grades were horrible. At the papers I was writing, I was just getting bad grades. And I ended up getting an F on like the biggest paper um, for, that was the biggest part of my grade. And I went in and talked to the professor afterwards. And um, he was just really arrogant. And he said, well, you know, you're really, you're not an A student. And he was just saying all these things to me. And, um, um, oh, my God, I completely lost my train of thought. Can you edit this? Uh, we don't have to, though, because it's real. This is Yeah. Kind of oh, shit. okay. And, and we lose our train of thought in real yeah, life. Yeah, we do that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, it happened to me yesterday. And, yeah. Um, you know, I did want to say that we are sitting in beautiful downtown Orange. <laughs> nice segue. Is it yeah. Orange County? And it is Orange is, County. This is not professional, so we don't segue. We're ADD. We do right. we talk about whatever. Well, I think, I think the, the... But not to be confused with Southern California, Orange County. This is beautiful. That's right. R- like scenic version. The boobs are real. Like versus, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's uh, a little too real. And 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 things are meant to be growing here because there's a water supply, which is, there isn't in the desert of right Southern California. Lots of agriculture except for around what here. Comes from Colorado. I, I okay. I think I just remember where I was going with that other okay, thought. Cool. Um, I you know I I was devastated by those comments mm-hmm. and felt really bad about myself and thought God I really shouldn't be here. You know, I'm not that smart. I'm not a good writer. This guy was not interested in building you up. He was tearing you right, down. Right, right. <laughs> pretty much. Were you 18? And, and yeah. later when I got some perspective on it, I thought, you know what? He does nothing but sit up in this room, in this old building, reading the same poems over and over again and, mm-hmm. and judging people's writing and versus, I'll compare this to a class, my favorite class I think that I took at VCU was African-American music. Yeah. And I was the only white person in the class. Yeah. Dr. Brooks was the teacher. He was so, um, first of all, brilliant, animated, through the exploration of African-American music, African-American music, starting with like slave um, spirituals Mm -hmm. all the way up through, you know, jazz, bebop, et cetera. Um, He wove, you know, his discussion of like the, you know, cultural, historical, I mean, everything, it, it really, it wasn't just about music. It wasn't just, you know, who played the song, Ella Fitzgerald. It was 
really an understanding of of how culture was um, reflected in what was right. happening, how, how that spoke to of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I learned more from that class. I was the only white person in that class. I got more out of that class than I think I did the entire time I was at William and Mary. So, and so did you? Did you graduate from William and Mary? Yeah, I did. You did. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, though. My cousin Pierce went to UVA and was an English major there, and. And I was an English major at VCU, and I picked my own. I mean, there was a certain curriculum that you had to follow. Right. But I took everything I could get my hands on, including stuff I thought that would make me a better writer. Like, I just was picking and choosing from all this stuff. And there was nobody telling me I couldn't do it. Right. And um, we ended up comparing notes after getting our liberal arts degrees. And, like, she hadn't read half the shit that I'd read. Yeah. Like, even stuff that I thought was, like, pretty foundational of the, the novel. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, Mall Flanders and stuff like the first yeah. English novels and stuff. Right. So they, these places have a reputation, but it's like this, the professors and the faculty and all this stuff, they maintain their reputation. And if the student is not helping them with their reputation, then the student has got to go. Right. It's like, it's not right. about building up the student. Right. You know, or. Right. Or, you know, and by the way, he's, he's critiquing, oh, we, we wrote, so we also wrote poetry for the class. Mm-hmm. And he's telling me, you know, it was a terrible poem and didn't make any sense. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are you even allowed to say that? Like, who do you understand? Like, you're teaching poetry. I mean, are, are you are you trying to produce uh, or or inspire people to be creative? Or who are you to say something's bad or good? First mm-hmm. of all, with something that subjective. Um, so that unfortunately shaped. I think had I stayed at VCU, um, I would have maybe taken a more. You would have had an awesome career as a waiter in Richmond. See. <laughs> I missed, no, I actually did do that as well. I did that as well. Um, it, but I think I would have felt more free in exploring um, writing more as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, because I always ended up surrounding myself by writers. You know, yeah. I'm at Punchline. But really, in my heart, that's what I wanted, wanted to. to yeah. But you were discouraged by this evil teacher at William & Mary. Huh? Yeah. You know, I mean, I was in class with... Um, uh, Chris Scalia is Antonin Scalia's, you know, one of the Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. His son was in my class, and um, you know those those are the those are the people that were around me, and they're it, it's um, they're creepy. They're That's like the other thing that I noticed from some of the really highly accredited schools is that. The competition that's going on there and what it is doing to the individual people's egos that are just trying to keep their head above water and hit the marks mm-hmm. and like and, and, and which is, I think, designed to keep the business working like the school to keep the school's reputation up. Right. People are getting these grades and right. whatever it's that they although you go to college, you get a liberal arts degree to learn how to be a critical thinker and learn how to think. A lot of people in those better schools, the ones with the bigger reputations, wind up not thinking so much. Right. They wind up just doing, it's almost like the SOLs or something, the standards of learning. They're just, they're just teaching the test just so they can get the grades. And yeah. they're, they're not acquiring that. Whereas like, nobody really gave, like, gave that much of a shit what I was doing at VCU. And I really wanted it. And I kind of had this freedom to get this education. Now, what that education has done for me is is questionable well we're sitting right here doing this right now yeah i mean this is a good example of you know i think of just from what i followed you on facebook and all i mean i see you 
always um you 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 are a seeker you know you still right. do that and that that is that's valuable in and of itself even mm-hmm. though it might not always feel like it nobody ever beat that out of me at least yeah you know. <laughs> but but if you're a if you're a supreme court justice's kid or you know colin powell's daughter went there and um she's actually really nice but um what what does motivate you if you are if right that you is are your, actually paying to have them conditioned yeah, you're not you're yeah. not paying to have them made into free thinkers right. and rebels and shit. Right, and by yeah, the way, right. those are then the people who are contributing to your experience when you're in right. school. So you, these are the kids you're sitting next to in class who, you know, they're just thinking whatever they're thinking. I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot of mm-hmm. didn't seem like there was a whole lot thinking going on. Wasn't yeah. I call it <laughs> I call it Stepford University. I, yeah. I felt like you know I was the real talkative person I was this I always felt like an oddball I always drove the piece of shit car and all my friends you know had the nice cars and I remember you having kind of a was it like a blue Toyota or something like that or no you drive it were you at Marymount when I was there at all like did we cross? No, when did she graduate that's right 88 we both went to the same high school that no longer exists I was there when Farley was there I was a what what year was I? I was a junior when he was a senior. But you didn't. Did you come as a freshman? No. Okay. I well, only went we my, have, my junior year. I think he came as a when I was, he was a freshman when I was a senior. Okay. I, I graduated in eighty eight. Okay. Gone. No, so, so we wouldn't have been there at the same time. Yeah. Um. The school no longer. I mean, there's not a trace of it. Like I, know. I, dro- I drove up that little driveway. Yeah. It's just somebody's house. Now. I know. Like, I think Isn't that even, sad? It is, it is. It, and yet I got wear it as a badge of honor, you know. No, yeah. They broke the mold. It was, right? a, it was a neat place. <laughs> I needed it. That was right about the time that I needed to go there. I left um, Lee Davis mm-hmm. and went there. I needed that small kind of environment. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, just the... I look now, it's funny because, you know, Jimmy, my husband, went to Wake Forest. And, and I feel like I'm so far past that experience of college that I look back and see almost no value in, yeah. in college. And I feel like I can say that having gone to, I feel like I'm, you know, I mean, everyone has a right to say whatever they want, but I feel like having believed that that school would get me something that I couldn't have otherwise gotten, that it would matter like on a resume. Um, it, it, it just simply didn't. But None the, of that matter. You know, one, one reality of you as a personality at, punchline was you were extremely motivated and yes. extremely like I mean and, and most of the guys there who were VCU students w- were like eh, whatever <laughs> you know like yeah. there, there wasn't this sense of urgency around and if there were oh. they probably wouldn't be up all night the night before the publishing getting everything done they would right. have like been, oh you god know, that was deadlines are deadlines and and publish in yeah yeah thing but i mean everybody seems to treat them the same way i look back on that time and i think about all of us and i think of course at the time i think i mentioned earlier um it wasn't particularly fun to always try to figure out how it's gonna live on a couple hundred bucks a week although prices behind where i live did have six pack of schlitz for dollar 99 so i knew i could always get my beer and you know at least half my paycheck was gonna go to that um, and Richmond was that cheap at that time. I mean, I think yeah. I was paying John Goldberg and I had a loft apartment on uh, Cary Street that was four hundred dollars a month. I remember that like, place. It's big as this joint right now without that wall. Oh, it was great, and it, it had the it had the patio like up on the back. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember that place. That that place was great. Yeah, but so I, if you can, I mean, if you're making so that's two hundred dollars, my share of that. 
Yeah. If you make your rent a week, they generally say you're doing Then you got the rest for beer. Doing okay. Yeah, that's that's right. right. The occasional yeah. full tank of gas. The rest for beer and some calzones from Pecolas. But but I look at that time, particularly being the only at the time when I came, I was the only girl. How did you end up there? I called Pete. I um I was working at the Richmond Coliseum. I was in the marketing department at the Richmond Coliseum making like no money out of, you know, fresh out of William and Mary, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and there were parts of that job that I really liked. It was fun. Like when the circus came and it was actually wild to be involved in all that stuff, to see the inner workings of mm-hmm. something like that, um, and the concerts. But then when there was nothing going on, it was so painful. And the offices were like in the belly of the Coliseum. Yeah, and I just, no I really, really like suffer with no, yeah, yeah. And so you're, I'm sitting there staring at the center blocks. Um, anyway, I grabbed a copy of punchline and I just called Pete and I was like, here's who I am. Here's what I want to do. And I, I went and met with, and I, it was so funny now that I know him and he was just kind of like, okay. Like, I don't think he knew. He was <laughs> do kind I of, need that? Yeah, I think he Maybe was I'm trying, <laughs> he was trying to be like, you know, very, but I think he was kind of like, oh my God, like she's just going to come in here. And I, I was all excited. I was going to, you know, change everybody's lives. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, he hired me. And that was above the uh, Rostovs or the Carytown Coffee and Tea when it was just like that little tiny yeah. office up there. Yeah. And it was me, uh, John, Jayon, and Pete, I believe at the time. Um, oh, no, I replaced someone. Dana. There was someone who... Oh, yeah. So maybe maybe I lied. Maybe I just completely made that up. Did I see a an ad where they? I don't. I don't feel like there was an ad. I don't feel like they were advertising for someone. But um, anyway, they may have been, and I may have just followed up on that mm-hmm. ad very aggressively. But um, anyway, Dana left, and I came in. And, and who um, was working in the offices then? It was Pete and John. John and Jayon. Yeah. And me. So then, so then I came in. So it was just us. Um, then they hired another sales guy, Derek. Do you remember Derek? Yes. Derek Judson. He is one of the people I was trying to get Liz to remember that who I refer to as like a cipher, like these, these guys that were just sitting behind a desk and there wasn't a lot of personality. I, I don't well, remember talking to them. He was a, he was a great guy. I have actually looked for him on Facebook and I can't find him. I don't know if he's on it and I just, I'm not, I don't know, spelling his name right or something, but he was a really cool guy. And I will tell you, it's, for any guy to come in and be some somewhat more of like a conservative sales kind of guy, yeah. you know, to come in with actually a button down shirt right. and have to compete with John and Pete and Jayon and, yeah. and just their, their quips and their, mm-hmm. you know, that would be intimidating. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm, I'm glad I was the only girl in that office because I could pretty much, you know, do whatever I wanted to do. And I had like regular fights with probably all of them. I remember Jayon. What did I you guys really, fight over? Oh, my God. What did, what did we fight about? Probably just even stuff like siblings would fight about, you know. Uh-huh. So the it was toilet this, seat in the probably bathroom. the toilet seat. <laughs> I am sure it was the toilet. You know, and John, I love John so much. He's very particular. You know, if if he had a message That's with a, an understatement, you know, a, a post-it note. I remember one time I st- he had a message and I stuck it on his computer screen. You know, and oh my god, he like that was sort of one of my. First oh, you actually put it on the glass. Oh yeah, oh yeah. no, I remember that. <laughs> that was one of my first introductions to uh, to working with John. Um, well, he wouldn't even let me, uh, we lived together. He wouldn't let me use his computer. Yeah. He was afraid I would get cookies on it. Yeah. Both yeah. the kind that are adware yeah. and, <laughs> and, and the kind with crumbs. crumbs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Pete, I don't, you know, I feel like my, my disagreements with Pete might've been um, 
kind of like deep and meaningful, mm-hmm. although I can't remember exactly. Or what. Were they philosophical or related to the business? Probably related to the business. Yeah. Um, if we would just maybe butt heads, like I had an opinion about something and then um, Jayon, I don't know. It was just because Jayon and I, I feel like still are, are I have such, just such tremendous love for him and feel so close to him, even though I don't really see him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, really all of them. But but to have a relationship, to, to have worked on something like Punchline and to have been co-workers, but to have really had kind of almost more of a relationship that was, we were like siblings, you know, mm-hmm. that you could fight sort of, would be really inappropriate to do that now, yeah. you know, to just have like a fight and, um, and then we'd all go out after work and, and, but then still get stuff done, you know, I mean, I still went out there yeah, and wonder, pounded the pavement a, and brought money what do you in. What think's and, changed? I mean, is that an age thing or is it the kind of jobs you have now or what? Cause I've noticed like I was in Minnesota for four years and people did not, I, I thought fighting is a p- normal part of oh, a relationship. Oh, I think in Minnesota, aren't they like super? People don't like confrontations out there. Oh no. man, that's and, tough. And like, I mean, I, and I'm, I'm not going to try and sit here in front and say that like, I'm, you know, some babe, you know, innocent little lamb, because I, I think I could be kind of intimidating when I'm just meaning to be uh, emphatic, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm not trying to, yeah. uh, like, scare anybody. Right. But my brow knits up, and I've got a point to make, and, like, you're looking at I know. At some, I've know. seen your Facebook things that I've, I, they go, I'm like, I don't, I'm scared to comment, because I don't know how I deep mean, this rabbit hole is going to go. those are meant to be completely, I'm not invested in them emotionally, and, yeah. like, and I've put no emphasis on, like, any yeah. of the words there, but people start responding to me. No, like I think it's I'm cool. I, them I, I envy you, because I think, and this kind of speaks to what we were just talking about, I think for people to um, to really put themselves out there, you know, Facebook is this interesting thing where we're we're really only putting things out there that we're we're shaping what we want people to think about. Right. So that's what we're all doing. Right. You know, I'm not going to put doing a, a little. We're all publicists for ourselves. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to take a picture of myself message. first thing in the morning and go, right. "This is what I look like." No, you'll even take a bunch of selfies until you get the one that really shows you. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and the one where I pretend like I'm not looking and I'm mm-hmm. off. Yeah, the J mm-hmm. Crew. You it's know, kind of casual. You can't even see my arm. It might have yeah. been taken by a. a friend Absolutely. Or a that's my paparazzi. first thought when I see a good picture of myself. I'm like, oh, that's got to go on Facebook. I look really good there. Um, yeah, but who is the imaginary mob that th- we're doing that for? Like, who's that audience? Like, you know, it's, I it, think it's us. It's, I think, right. I think it's us. Mm-hmm. I think we want to, we're doing it for ourselves. I mean, I, I was joking with someone recently cause I don't know about you. I, I've got, you know, 475 some right. friends on Facebook, mm-hmm. but I say really my, my, my favorite posts are mine. Like I want to see, you know, I post something and then, you know, and this is kind of a weird thing to admit, but like, I'll go back and look at it and I'll read it again how did that sound, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll look at, because really what I'm trying to do is, and you know, in some part is, is validate myself. Like yeah. I want to, well, no, that doesn't sound weird. I mean, I, I, I think people say that's do weird. it. They just maybe don't admit it. I've heard it admitted before too. I yeah. think people do it with Twitter and they do it with, yeah. um, Tumblr and they do it with Pinterest and they do it with Instagram. We're all looking for a, the buzz that comes from somebody yeah. liking, or giving us aff- affirmation or approval from this little thing that we've put out there. Right. And it's a slightly frustrated artistic urge, you know, yeah. that's just, we only have time for like, say, 140 characters, that, you know, or can only commit to sculpting that, yeah. you know, like yeah. not a book or an essay or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think our attention spans are like, well, that's just about what we got as a status yeah. update, yeah. you know, when we're doing everything else. And 
So I think it's, you know, in a lot of ways it's cool because it does get some creativity out of people who have no platform right. for that and don't do anything with right. it at all. But, you know, the reality is we can make ourselves crazy comparing our insides to other people's outsides yeah. like that. Like, yeah. my, you know, when I'm feeling shitty, I can go on Facebook and look at what my ex-girlfriend's doing and be like, see, I'm a loser. It's a good thing she got rid of me because now look at her. She's sailing and everything's perfect and her life is, you know, yeah. our hearts. And she just wants everybody to think that as well, you know. It's like, yes, but absolutely. But you're not thinking that at the time. You're thinking, like, look at my, I'm sitting here in my under, underwear. There's a bunch of food spread right. around my computer. Right. And everybody's out there living like normal lives. But, right. You know. Right. And so I think, um, to kind of get back to the whole notion of when do we start, you know, censoring ourselves? Because I know that things, if I went to, you know, went and had a job somewhere now and I worked with people in a, on a small creative a endeavor, like like I would, I would not think that it would be okay to argue and, and get into these heated discussions and, and, um, now, heated discussions are fine, but, but sort of like the fighting, I mean, we fought, like I, I remember really fighting with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't think that's such a bad thing now. Like, I think, I don't know why we don't do that more. I don't know why we don't just say exactly what's on our minds. I think restraint is a little bit overrated. I mean, I think, um, it's important to know exactly where someone's coming from. And even if they don't, um, like you, or they don't like what you're doing, it's, I I think maybe it's like, there's this two things going on there. Our egos are so strong at that age, right? And that's where we're coming from. We're like, right. I've finally figured out what I think, yeah. and you're going to hear it, and I'm really invested in it. And we're so strong in that that somebody disagreeing with us doesn't hurt our feelings at all, right. like, or even vehemently like screaming at us disagreeing, because we're all just a bunch of kids that just decided what we thought. Like, you know, we're only in our early 20s. Well, I, was tw- I guess I was 28 by the time that was going on. But anyway... Um, but you, as you get older, you start realizing, A, like how fragile people's egos are. And that even though that you may have a valid point and you, this, you might not want to pick this battle, this may not be the battle because this person, you might wound this person is going to wound your relationship with them. Right. And it's more important to just like kind of right. have this peace. Than, I think also you know, when you become uh, these different you know, you fill these different roles later in life too. You know, you're someone's potentially, you know, I'm someone's I mean, wife, you're somebody's mother, I'm someone's mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have, whoa, if that doesn't like knock me over sometimes, you know, when I'm cussing and, you know, just not feeling like I should be someone's mom, right. you know? And then I think, Oh dear God, but I am. And, and, but then I also have to, to comfort myself and say, um, what's well, really funny when I was in Australia, um, I met this Indian guru type woman and she met Harper. I went to this thing that she was doing and I was holding Harper and she got really close to her face, like really close and was just staring at her and Harper's looking at her. And then she turned and looked at me and said, she chose you, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, then she knew exactly what she was getting into. Right. In so my I mind, I thought, <laughs> fuck it. Like there's nothing I can do now, you know? But, but that is, there is a lot of truth in that, that, I'm, she is going to grow up being, you know, if my goal for her, which my only goal for her is for her to be happy, you know, whatever I can do to help facilitate happiness for her confidence, um, just figuring out how to be happy. Cause I think that's something that's mm-hmm. a really, that's a 
hard thing. I think as you get older too, you realize that it's, it's harder. Um, but if I can help her with that and send her on her way that I will feel like I'm successful no matter what she does, whatever choices she makes. But I think the best way to do that is for me, is for her to see exactly who I am for me to be. And for me and for me to, you know, continue to, um, follow my heart and let things, you know, put shit out there when I need to say exactly what I need to say. Um, cause kids, yeah, know, it's, man. it's in how you say it. Right. And I, I mean, I'm constantly, you know, walking this line because I used to be one of those people that totally, like I was first, I was really repressed. Like I was a really uptight kid. You were repressed. I was, believe it or not. I was, I would say that I am, I met you post repression that right. I've never, I've never known a repressed Right. And, I, and probably people wouldn't have looked at me and thought that was what was going on. Yeah. But like as soon as I read about what an anal retentive person was like when I was in college, I was like, that's me. Yeah. Although I compensate because I don't think that's a desirable way to appear. I don't want to come across like Felix Unger, you know, the guy, the odd couple dude who's just fastidious and like. Right. But the way I felt inside was very like self-editing, self-censoring, like like not really allowing myself to be me because I was always having this unintentional impact even as a kid, on people around me. I had neighborhood parents telling me I was a bully when they didn't realize that their kid had just kicked me in the balls and then I smacked him to the ground, but I'm twice his size, so, you know. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is just normal kids fighting, but because right. I'm bigger, like, and then I was told, well, you do have to edit yourself because you're bigger than the other kids. You're not allowed. And that is what we teach our kids. You know? I mean, I, and, and I don't know that that's, I walk that line too, especially with having a daughter. I, I hear myself saying, um, because even though I'm, I'm outspoken and, and on the one hand I do as women are particularly girls are raised to be, be nice. Don't mm-hmm. say that. That's not nice. Nice girls don't say that. We, right. that is the message in various degrees. And so I find myself with Harper too. Like if she just kind of, is she just being a little shit, you know, and I'm, I'm, and if someone's there and trying to interact with her, I'm like, you know, be nice. And I find myself right. kind of doing that. And then I'm like, I really shouldn't do that because it's my own embarrassment that's I'm wanting her to be a right. nice I want someone to think I have a nice girl. Right. It's how but, it reflects on you. Yeah. I certainly got a lot of that, you know. And and it's that's normal. I think that's normal, mm-hmm. but I you know, I really wanna I I don't wanna do that. Even if the result is that she's a little more outspoken than she should be or than you know, than other kids are, I would prefer that because I think there's just probably nothing worse than than feeling like you don't have a voice or you don't, right. that, that's how you lose yourself. Yeah, and so like in, in learning, like, I mean, I've been really making a study of this kind of stuff for like the last four years. Like I've put my, the energy I used to put into partying and put into being a wild man into exploring, like what are all of the different ways that humans have tried to answer these issues over thousands of years? You know, my, my first attempt was like, well, I'm just going to drink and let it all hang out. And like, that's, right. Like that's freedom, right. right? But you have all of these unintentional, like consequences on for yourself and for others when you're doing that because you're that thing you were doing to lack, you know, to, um, loosen up your inhibitions. It's also loosening up your judgment, and that's like a blunt instrument. It's all your judgment. It's like right. everything, right? So I've really been looking at that, like how does a person live a free but disciplined life, you know? And like. It doesn't mean that you don't have your feelings. It's that you are careful how you express them to people. You know, like you, everybody's going to be angry. You have emotions. You are angry, right? But you, 
you say if you are at that point where you just need to blow it out and holler, then you need to go someplace in, like, say, in a room. Yeah, like, and I did this at my old job. I'd go in the freezer and just be like, "Motherfucker!" Like, <laughs> yeah, just lose yeah. it. And I think we do it in our car. But doesn't it feel good that. to? I have a confession, and I don't keep in touch with her. There's no way she'll ever hear this podcast. But there's someone I went to college you with. Never She's know. maybe I'll send but you it can to say her. Whatever you want. This is a. It's a friend. She was she was a girl that hung out with us in college. Uh, Jen knows her, my college roommate, uh, Jen, Susan, Sarah, and me. And then there was a girl named Alicia who hung out. She was mostly friends with Susan, and she was just this very odd, very. It's almost like she had Tourette's. Like she would mm. be nice, you turn around, and she'd say something mean. And you're like, yeah. what? You just say she was just a real weird person, not a nice person, and you could never really tell what she was going to say or do. And but Susan really liked her, so we all hung out, and. Uh, we all after college Susan had a place in and um up in northern virginia and we were up there a bunch of us were up there and and she had just been kind of egging me on all night we all had been out drinking and you know a big group of us came back to Susan's and we were upstairs in the hallway that after we came home that night and i said something to her and i i turned my back to her and she said bitch and I turned back around and I was going to punch her as hard as, I mean, I, I was like, this is it. This is it. I'm going to, I mean, this is, mm-hmm. I mean, hair's Today's getting pulled out. <laughs> like, this is just going to, I'm going to throw her down the stairs. This is going to be amazing. Like I was really in Susan stepped in and she was just like, please, I'm begging you. And mm-hmm. she's one of my best friends, you know, mm-hmm. still, when I look back on that, that is one of my biggest regrets that I did not beat the ever loving shit out of Mm -hmm. her isn't that a bizarre thing to admit i mean i i will still like i'll get into a moment i'll hear something about that what's more bizarre is that people that people don't indulge that like because really it is natural to indulge that you know yeah but yeah that that was it was a long time coming maybe she would have kicked my ass i don't know but i would have loved that experience of having just a a throw down Mm -hmm. you know punches and just i mean go for yeah, it well, they're really overrated because i've had it and, and i walk i've walked away from every one of them feeling like like you uh, didn't get something out of it no i felt felt disgusted oh. like it's really it does take a little piece if you're not a psychopath it takes a little piece of your soul oh. a little tiny piece to to punch somebody in the face and mm. feel their jaw like under your knuckles and like to see them hurt and to know that you caused that. Oh my God. Not, though, see, when I picture Alicia, it sounds amazing. It's a cartoon. You know, you're, um, you're picturing some awesome thing like, you know, in the funny pages where somebody goes yeah. thwack and the guy goes, Ooh. No, I'm really picturing but, her in pain. Like, I'm yeah. I'm not, like, I really. So, it, it, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like, if I had actually done it, would it be this thing that I'm like, oh, it's God. It's never been satisfied. There have been times where I've hauled off, like, some dude in elementary school is talking shit me yeah. about my mother and like we're in fifth grade and he's just like really trying to get a rise out of me and I went you know what I'm just gonna do this thing I see on TV all the time I sure. turned to the side and I gave him a roundhouse right to the fucking jaw and laid him out on the floor yeah and first of all people get up from that you know <laughs> yeah. you don't like it's not like you get to do that on TV where you punch somebody in the face yeah. and they fall down and you're yeah. like that's yeah slap your hands and walk away yeah and they get up and you better be prepared to follow For up what's coming you know and uh I usually um, once I had unleashed that emotion, it was all like, it's like the Beetle Bailey. It's like a bunch of cats fighting. It's just like a cloud of yeah. like stars and dust and you know, right. expletives coming out right. of it. But the feeling, I've never walked away from that. Even when I've won a fight and I have won some, like I, not even that long ago, I like 10 years ago, I beat the shit out of my roommate. 
knocked out. A Not John. His, no, no. <laughs> no, this guy was in a band with and like, you, yeah. you know, he, he and I were drunk and whatever. And it just finally came to that. And, and I actually, you know, I, 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 I gave him one of those ass whippings that like you see on TV and like I walked away from it. You know, feeling like shit. Yeah, it's not for, for a normal. There's nothing good. Violence just begets more violence, as they say. Yeah. Like, so you know. Well, so I, that part, you know, maybe the fantasy of violence is really better than than the actual following through right. on it. But I think to your point, what you were saying about going in the other room to scream. I don't know. I think sometimes scream right at the fucking person who annoyed you or. Maybe or or let it you know because that that's that censorship. I mean to to hide that the the intensity of emotion, whether it's like crying. I mean I this is really funny. Like I don't I I never wanted to like cry in front of Jimmy. You know I mean that's most girls are just you cry right, and right. I don't I'm not comfortable. And this is crying. your husband, Jimmy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I leave the door open when I go to the bathroom, but I right. you know, I don't want to cry. <laughs> and so after I had Harper and you just got this like oh, I can't even believe the you know, raging hormones and everything you're feeling. And the mm-hmm. whole world feels like it's just crazy. And, um, he asked me if I wanted a sandwich. I was in our bedroom where, you know, the baby's in there. And, uh, I didn't know if I wanted a sandwich and it was this really monumental thing. So I went in the room and I sat in the bed and just bawled my eyes out, but I shut the door, you know, and he knocked on the door. He said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Why wouldn't I be okay? And he's like, cause I can hear you on the monitor. You know, the baby monitor. So here I had like, you know, after going through childbirth and the guy seen me, you know, seen me give birth to his child. But I, I don't want to cry in front of him because it's, that is the ultimate vulnerability of to, to, and also anger. I think being really, really angry, I think you're just as vulnerable. Um, and those are hard things to, to show other people. Well, they you are. Know? And it's a lifelong practice of figuring out the appropriate way. And that is like one of the things I was, in, in one of these rooms I'm in, like talking to people about this stuff, a guy said, you know, he goes to this meditation um, thing, you know, actual like Zen meditation thing in Minneapolis. Yeah. And uh, they had a, a, you know, a, I forget what the a Roshi kind of guy. I mean, I forget what the guy's name was, but he was from San Francisco and he came and he'd been practicing, you know, for 40, 50 years. And um, somebody asked me, he's like, what, do you, what have you gotten out of 40 and 50 years of meditation practice and all of that? And he goes, an appropriate response. Wow. You know, and, and the idea that we have about most of Eastern stuff is you're going to turn into a Vulcan. You're not going to have emotions. Right. No, you're not going to indulge the the entire array of sloppy, like, just spill out of your fucking cup all the time. Right. Shit. And of course, nobody is ever going to be at that point where they aren't going to get mad sometimes. You know, like my sister gets makes me yell. My dad makes me yell, and I can. In, in, in similar situations, family I can, can do it very like calm. nobody's business. You know, I'm not. I'm not advocating that people will never do this stuff. It's to have it as a goal to say having anger and expressing anger are two different things. Yeah. You know, having sadness. It not, you know, sadness is not going to hurt somebody else. You know, but anger is something that could conceivably hurt somebody else, especially. As someone like me, I could hurt somebody else. You yeah. Know, I have enough physical power to hurt somebody else. But it isn't really – I'm never intending to hurt anybody when I'm showing my anger. I'm just yeah. intending to – I'm that frustrated. I'm that – like I've hit a wall and I don't know what to do any further because the person is not responding 
to reason and like I haven't gotten to the stage that I can just let that go. Yeah. Like my ego is still really attached to convincing this person right. who may not be capable of seeing things the way I see them. Right. But I'm super invested in it and like I get really angry and frustrated and end up yelling and that, you know, people don't play that shit no. the way that they used to. Like, I mean, I'm, well, that's what I mean. Like I, it, you know, it, when you contacted me about doing this podcast and I just started thinking about all the guys at punchline and just kind of that part of my life. And I just, I remember, um, just being re- you know, everything. I wore it, mm-hmm. whatever I was feeling. I just, I wore it. It was out there. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I look back on that with some fondness and, and, um, maybe wishing that, um, it may, maybe I'm wishing other people were more like that. Maybe, maybe, I was really lucky to, to but work you were with 24 at that point. I, maybe. yeah, was I 24? Yeah. And, um, I, I think, I think when you get older and then you meet other people that have children and then that's what your life starts to be, everything just starts to become, I mean, I've got some great friends. I'm not saying I live in this world of, you know, nobody says what's on their mind. I have really right. good friends who are a lot of fun, really sure. smart, but there is this level of, um, kind of just that nothing's ever, you're never just going to, let it all hang out, you know, and I, and I do miss that. I can't say that I don't, I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, it's an, I mean, I don't have the answers to this. It's something that I'm constantly thinking about and constantly engaged in. I, I do think you have to have honesty, but I think it's the time and a place for it. And like, you know, we could spill over the sides, like I said before, when we're younger and everyone's ego is so strong at that point that nobody gets hurt by this. Yeah. But life is kind of, life opens up a lot of, well, I think, I think as you get older, you start to, you know, as we get older, there's more fear. You've probably experienced some real pain, you know, I think as you get things start to happen to you and things, you know. I mean, think of the the uh, the parallel of like how easily I mean, a kid can take a spill that I would cut, walk away with a broken hip from. You know, yeah. like kids, you recover physically, you recover, and, and emotionally yeah. are yeah. more resilient. Yeah. You know, no, that's that exactly point. right. I mean, that's yeah. why I said like I could have had a fight with you know Jayon in the office, and we could have been you know Go going off, and then right. we just go out and drink and have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, I. I I don't know. I think there's something that's kind of healthy about that. And, and I see the same thing happening with my daughter at her age. She's almost four. And I see that, you know, she could have an absolute um, meltdown over something that, you know, she wants something to drink and she can't have it or something really not that big of a deal. But she gets that out. She gets whatever's going on, you know, that, mm-hmm. that emotion. And she's just enraged. Or, and then, it's, then it's, it's past and she doesn't remember it. It's yeah. just on. I think when you come into this world, I think you're programmed to, um, it isn't, you know, even your, your expression of your emotion isn't even about what someone else thinks. She doesn't care what I think right. about her temper tantrum. But she knows or, you're going to love her no matter what. Like she, that's you right. get the un- unconditional love. And I do think that was a part of the punchline thing is that everybody loved each other. Yeah. Right. That was and very that, real. And that is, that's a thing that I have, I don't know, you know, when I think about Richmond and, and people go, oh, you, are you, you know, you, glad to be out of there or are you you know how do you feel about being back and the, and the older I get and the more I travel around uh, the unconditional love of that town like that I both have f- received and shared with other people that like I don't know what it is it's like punchline is probably a 
one of the sort of, and maybe this is why it fascinates me, it's a microcosm of what I love about that town. Yeah, is that I would people agree. People will get together yeah. and try to do something together, and they're really doing it for each other and for other people and for no other reason. It's right. really not about the money. Right. It's not about prestige. It's like, you know, we've banded together and right. we're... And Trying to do something big. I remember yeah. when we did the first... Um, what did we do? We did like a double issue. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Were you there for that? It was huge. Yeah, and I, um, I was there for many of I mean, I came around in 19. It was in a September. I want to say it was like a September issue, but we sold, you know, we doubled our sales. We doubled, mm-hmm. you know, and anyway, it's this huge issue. And I remember how we all, we all felt like we were unveiling this thing to the world, this huge issue. And, and it probably, it wasn't as important to anybody else. You know, everyone went on about their days, but, but it was this, it was a really big deal. And I remember Pete said something about, you know, I feel like we should like all come like walking down the street, you know, in slow motion with like sunglasses on, you know, yeah, that's exactly how we all (laughs) felt, you know? And that's all that really mattered. I mean, it, it, we felt that way because we felt like it was a big deal to everybody else. But the truth is it was a really big deal to us Mm -hmm. and that's all that mattered. But we were giving, the feeling I remember is that we were giving this to Richmond. Like that. Oh, and yeah. And that was, that was real. I mean, that was, you know, and, you, you, and everybody's been asking for something. Okay, we're going to be the ones to put it together because for some reason that everybody's money and efforts and shit are going into the most banal bullshit. And, and like we have more going on in this town than this banal stuff. Right. And, and a lot of the people that are really motivated to do something that would would voice that just go. They go to New York. They go to Chicago. You talk about this all the time, you know. Right. Pete and I talked about it. But. That, yeah, exactly. But people want us, and so like it was like these were the people who said, "All right, we're going to give it to you." You know, we're going to we're going to do it. We're going to try to like build the build it. Will you come? You know, right. we're going to build this little field of dreams. Uh, right. You know, analogy. Right. And there, I mean, particularly so for that. Pete. I mean, because yeah. that that was his baby, and I mean, I just I I have such immense respect for him as a you know someone who you know I mean I think when he started the paper he was like on his bike going, you know, mm-hmm. going up and down the street trying to get people to buy ads. And then, you know, it grew from there. And, and he's, he's such a brilliant writer. I mean, he's, I just, I think the world of him, yeah. he's just such a great guy. I just always have, you know. And it's very, it's very unusual for people in that town, for whatever reason, to take it upon themselves yeah. to do something like that. Yeah. And to be, to be successful. likewise vulnerable and right. do the work and all of that. It's just so much easier to sit there at that bar or... Right. Wherever. Or go get a job somewhere else. (laughs) You know, I mean, go down to which I ended up going to the Martin agency, you know, and so did John. And there's, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily regret doing that. I needed to do it first of all, because it was a lot more money. And at that, I think I finally needed to be a part of something bigger and more, um, you cut your baby teeth there. Yeah. But you know, um, what's the word? Just something more, you know, a, a real job. Right. Um, but you know that nothing nothing really there was nothing as creative though as really what was happening at punchline because mm-hmm. even the and and again with the facade i mean talking about the william and mary kind of thing the same thing is true about the martin agency mm-hmm. one of my best friends still works there and she's been there 17 years and she's brilliant and i love her to death and she is very good at what she does um and there are a lot of people there who are but Um, there are a lot of people who are there who are just cogs in the wheel and Mm -hmm. they're, and, but I think you're led to believe that, look, if you get a job at the Martin agency, you, you're, you know, this is highly selective and you're, you've got to be brilliant. And, um, that's not true. That's not true. And, 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 
you know, just like everywhere else, I mean, the clients end up driving a lot of what happens and whether you're at a small agency or a big agency, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's the same frustration. So, I mean, at least at Punchline, we were, um, I mean, with Pete's direction, um, and then me, of course, objecting to whatever I didn't like, Mm -hmm. um, we were in control. Yeah. And how amazing is that? I mean, it, when, when does that ever happen? And it's more possible now than ever before, like figuring out how to make it like I, I am not answered that question as far as my own thing goes. I have one person who's giving me money, you know, right now at this point, I've pitched the idea of like people maybe kind of advertising with me to one person and they've said yes, conditionally. Yeah. But it's really not what it's about. And I realize I have to, I mean, I'm 43 years old. I do have to make money. Yeah. But like I've, I get to do this thing and I get to say how it goes and how I feel like doing it that day. And there's nobody else that's going to tell me otherwise. And all I needed to do that was a laptop I bought for $80, these fucking bullshit microphones, all this crap, this, all of this stuff that you see here is a total of $160 I bought on Craigslist. I love it. It's awesome. (laughs) I, no, I love, I just, I love that you're doing this and you know, I can tell you, um, my husband is 44. I think he just turned 44 in June. Um, he, you know, he has a, he has a real job and he goes to New York and, um, he's probably would love to have a little more freedom and creativity in his life. I mean, mm-hmm. not to say I, I'm, it's, it's, uh, well, I want what you guys got, you know, I mean, creativity to me, it can take like two, um, channels i think like creativity is literally like the act of creation right right so if you it's get the energy you put into something it isn't even child, about the product what's more creative than that yeah you well, did create another human being yeah. the thing is is that to, to a large degree that's just biological and you don't get yeah. to say how it goes so much as yeah. you do with your art yeah you know? but the other but, myth is um and i can i'm you know this I, again i don't know if this is the kind of thing that people really admit but this is true for me your spouse nor your child um, fulfills you in a way that it, it does not complete you. It does not mean, you know, and I, and I think people who don't have those maybe aren't married or don't have children or whatever might look at someone else and say, yeah, you know, I want that. You've got someone that, you know, you see them at the end of the day and they, you know, they're there with you all yeah, the time. Exactly. That's and, the problem. <laughs> you know, and you've got a, and you've got a kid, you've got this beautiful child and, you know, she looks like, you know, she's got your lips and she's got your husband's eyes and she's just, you know, um, the reality is no one can fulfill you. And I, even if it's your sibling or right. your parent or your husband or your child, and that is, that's a little bit of a dirty secret. I think, I think I oh, could, it's, I, it's no secret. Like that's, well, I think a lot of women in particular, yeah. I know I, I have conversations with women about it and a lot of women go, but I love my kid. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love being a mom. And there's this disclaimer quickly that follows everything they say. Well, no, this, this dissatisfaction underscores the majority of human suffering. It's the desire thing and nobody ever wants what they have. They want something Absolutely. else. You want and, other. Yes, that's right. Exactly so right. being complete is for, is first of all the you know, and this is a major like kind of platitude out there, but it's super true. Is you have to realize gratitude is an action that you take, mm-hmm. like being grateful for what you do have and taking yeah. the time to look around and say, "Wow, you know, that's a thing that actually does start to complete you." That what yeah. completes you is the altering of the ground of the way that you are processing this 
all of this stuff around you. Yeah. So that what you're focusing on or what you're seeing is the beauty and the amazing, the miracle yeah. or whatever you want to say. Yeah. The fact that you and this guy have been together for 13 years and have had a baby and you live in this incredible part of Virginia. Yeah. And I but mean, you know, I think I'm not doing that Facebook thing where I'm comparing, you know, insides yeah. to outsides. I'm just yeah. saying it's like, I it looks want, good. Yeah. And it I looks want good. that, you know, but in order to be happy with that or this, what I'm doing or anything, You've got to start building. You got to start filling that hole yeah. yourself. You yeah. Know? And filling that hole has to do with really, actually, ironically, not thinking about self so much. Yeah. It's when you're really getting, you know. And I think for me, I've thought about this a lot since the trajectory of our life has kind of gone. You know, from we move out here, and then Jimmy gets the job in Australia. We lived in Australia for two and a half years. We come home, and now he's got even bigger job in New York, and and we've got all that. You know. I fox hunt and mm-hmm. we've got all this, the, we were living the life. There's mm-hmm. no question about it, but I've had those moments somewhere I've stopped and said, um, why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel, sure. why don't Human. I feel, <laughs> yeah. Why don't I feel happier than that 24 year old kid who was, you know, buying Schlitz for $1.99. Um, and so I think it can be, it can be a blessing, but it can also be a terrible thing to get exactly what you want out of life because mm-hmm. you then are potentially confronted with the fact that, that none of that stuff is going to make you happy. Now what? Yeah, well, I listen to a lot of people talk about this very thing. You know, and I mean, it's almost like this is my graduate degree is in human suffering and like the antidotes to it. Because, yeah. I mean, I had, to, I, had to make, I had to change my life, you know. And that's yeah. why I went to Minnesota. Um, it's, it really is about being present and being in the moment. Now, that's easier said than done. Like, how do you get there? Well, you get there by, like, really stopping the story that's in your head. Like, the time traveling, you know? Like, going into the past and going into the future. Right. You know, it's all abstract. Right. You, you're, um, you're omniscient in those places. And you get to stand above it like a god and say, oh, this looks wonderful or it looks really scary or whatever. And you're, you're too small in the present. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't like that feeling. It's really hard to just sure. Be. There's no drama in the present. Yeah, and I think for you know for whatever reason, I know I we all do it. It's the human condition, as you say, and it's I'm I'm a big fan, unfortunately, of um, not not totally willingly, but of regretting the backwards looking. Why did I do that? Oh my God, that was a terrible thing, and now I'm worried about what's going to happen down the, so it's just this, this place of, right. Yeah. Looking back is depression. In the Looking moment. forward is anxiety. And really peace is, is right here in the present. And I don't mean to sound like some crazy Pollyanna cause I fucking, I'm, I'm wrestling with that all the time. No, I'm, but I'm going in that direction. You're right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, I mean, I listen to all Eckhart Tolle's stuff. I mean, I've read all that and, and I know, I mean, I'm reading going, God, but do you meditate right, right on, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, what's funny. Cause you can read about, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, what's really funny. And this is like, this is totally messed up. I will meditate when everything in my life is good. Because I don't have to think about all the things that are wrong right. and I don't have to sit there and go, why, why am I tortured? What is this angst? Uh-huh. Um, which I know is precisely the point of how to. Well, yeah, a common misconception about meditation is that you're supposed to, when you sit down, 
that's supposed to go away. Right. No, you're supposed to be, be able with to it. St- yeah, stand back from it and see yeah. it for what it is. That it's like it actually has no power to hurt you in that moment. Yeah. And that it's just swirling around you like a, and you could be in the eye of the hurricane. It's yeah. just it's not going to sweep you up in it if you learn to find that spot. Right. And that spot is a fucking that is a kind of an amazing place, you know. And it's been hinted at by like you know, pop culture stuff like the Jedi, you know, how like calm this guy is, you know, or the Shogun warrior or whatever, or, you know, but this is a, you know, we've created this idea because it exists. There is a, there's a place that you can stand outside of the total subjective moment and like, and be like, I I have some mastery. I have some transcendence. I have some ability to, you know, it's doesn't stop all of this stuff. It stops my reaction sure. to it being completely reflexive. Sure. It stops my reaction being totally the animal thing of fight and flight. You know, something must happen right now. I need to run away right. or I need to attack this. Yeah. Thing. I think you, you start know? to object those things. Bec- you, you can objectify them. You can separate your actual self from them. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole point of all that is that sometimes we can do it and, and it's all about the practice. It's right. It's just like you're saying about creating, you know, being creative being a creative person isn't about what you create it's about the creative energy that you put into anything and so i think the same thing is true for um meditating and understanding i mean some days i can do it some days i can't and all that matters is that that's fucking okay yeah yeah because then the days (laughs) i can't do it because guess what whatever whatever's it's gone whether i did whether i felt good today whether i had a good moment and i was able to be at peace with whatever was going on that moment's gone just like the moment's gone of I'm completely full of worry about what I don't even know. That moment's also gone. How many times have you been worried something was going to happen? Right. And then when the thing actually happened, it was no big deal, but the worrying about the thing happened. The example I use the most is airplane delays and problems in airports and like maybe having a flight grounded, you know, and having to stay in the airport overnight or whatever. Right. That's like my worst nightmare when I'm setting out on the journey and imagining that's going to fucking happen. But when it actually happens, you're just resigned to it. You know, it's like really, so it really, the harm comes in, in the anxiety of anticipating. I don't know if you listen to Eckhart Tolle, but he, he, in one of his, like one of the chapters that he was doing of his book, um, I think it was with Oprah, I think a new earth. And, um, he's just got such a calm, you know, I love listening to him talk. I was, when I was pregnant, I was actually on bed rest. Scottish, very interesting accent. He's so funny, but I was on bed rest the last two or three months of my pregnancy because I was not gaining weight. So I had to sit on my ass, which was really hard to do. So I was like listening to every podcast I could find. And I listened to that whole series. And I think about this a lot. He was talking about how, you know, the difference between a problem and, you know, a challenge. And he said, you know, the mind creates problems. There are no such thing as problems. That is a complete fabrication of the mind. And he said, if we were sitting here and a wild animal jumped in the room we would make a decision in the moment of what to do with it. But for us to sit here and go, what if a wild animal jumps right. in the room? What if it, it could be, you know, there could be a snake under the thing. There could, that is all because none of that is true until you're actually dealing with something. But, but and what is this thing that happens to us though, that we don't, we, it, there's a disconnect though, because we do get nervous and anticipate things or get worried or get, you know, run through all the different well, possibilities. The answer, yeah. I'll tell you what it is. It's the, it's, the, it's a human animal. Like the human animal, the part of us that is that was conditioned 150,000, 200,000 years ago to survive on a savanna, it, it, that part of us is still trying to work, and it isn't relevant right. uh, to most of what's going on. So then we apply it 
to our ego. Right. We apply it to the things that we think we want and the things we are afraid of losing and all of that. And those become sources of life or death fear yeah. feelings because the chemical thing that happens that is fear is the same whether a bear is about to eat you or that this bitch is telling lies on you at work and you're going to lose your job. You know, it's, yeah. like, you don't it, have a different mechanism. Yeah. For, those differentiating two the two fears. the human biological animal is coming up with the same fear out of mm-hmm. those two things and so to me it's a natural thing for us to be doing because we recognize this our ego is tied to our survival so we believe so you know that, that which the ego wants we assume is that which the body wants needs all of that kind of stuff we've been conditioned to that or we've just been allowed to run free with that that sense of cons- need and want and desire. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the the thing is to step back and recognize that something like fear isn't a highfalutin thing. It's a very basic chemical response to a fucking, you know, it's yeah. just your body getting adrenaline from your yeah. adrenal glands, which are sitting here, you know, to understand a little bit about that. Right. You know, and to, you know, it doesn't take fear away, but it makes it like you go, oh, this is just fear I'm feeling. It's this finite emotion that, is, that offers itself in lots of circumstances. And I don't have to do what it's telling me to do right now. Yeah. I can just go, Boy, it's powerful there. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. It's, yeah. you're supposed to, it's okay to feel afraid that somebody's doing that. But you can't, you must really like talk to somebody who's like understanding and unaffected maybe. Yeah. You can say... I know I, I do that too at work. Um, it's probably not true, right? It's probably not going right. on, right? And even if it is going on, right? If you're doing your job and you're doing what you're supposed to be, nobody talking shit about you is going to affect you. Yeah, yeah. You know? And if it does, it's without it's out of your control anyway, right? And that's what I always tell myself: the, the things thing. that I get really worked up about, um, I don't always do. But when I stop and go, wait, is this something I can control? It isn't, and that's actually a great way to let go of something mm-hmm. because. You can't argue with that. Right. So if I want some outcome, um, I was trying to, you know, this will be something that no one's going to sympathize with or think, you know, oh, God, poor thing. But I, I had surprised. to sell a horse when I moved to Australia. I had to uh-huh. sell my really nice horse. Uh-huh. Like, I really, I loved him so much. He was awesome. He was, he was my big fox hunter. And um, and I, re- I thought about him when I came home. And a friend of mine found him. He's for sale in Massachusetts. I never knew who bought him because I went through a broker. Uh-huh. And... Um, but anyway, I, I thought, oh, I can buy him back. And, and um, so I started talking to the guy who bought him. He's a freak. And, and it, it, you know, we agreed on something and then that didn't work out. And then we came up with it. And then he, anyway, it was a lot of back and forth. And, and I proposed something to him. And then I was just in angst waiting for him to get back to me. Like, what is he going to do this? Why isn't he doing this? Like, I really want this horse back. And then I just thought, you know what? I have no control over what he's going to do. And yes, I might want this horse back and it might be great. And there might also be a great reason why I'm not getting him back. And the bottom line is he's not my horse. And, um, anyway, I don't have any control over, you know, and I kind of regret just telling that story because no, why? One, because it's, people, I'm sitting here thinking that. Thank oh, you for telling that. Oh, story. oh well, cause it's kind of like, you know, whatever this bitch no, can't get her horse look, back. You know, but what is the horse? He was my horse. He was my, you know, he was my whatever baby. That feeling is for you. Yeah. Somebody else can relate that to some other thing and that's the thing to really want something that it that is to me that is one of the most painful feelings to want something so badly that you can't have or you don't know if you can have it you're Mm -hmm. you know and that takes a lot of forms whether it's someone you want to be with you know and haven't had that feeling in a long time because i'm an old married woman Mm -hmm. um but or you want some possession 
that just that Desire. angst of wanting it's yeah, it is yeah. a man it just churns you up inside mm-hmm. and it's it's a terrible thing it's a beautiful you, thing too but but it never it, you never are satisfied by getting it right no it's it it is in and of itself a thing you know, just to have the desire, it's in a, it's in a, and that is the source of most addiction. You know, it's just kind of yeah. like I just, I'm chasing this thing I'm never going to get, and you just keep chasing it. Yeah, but and and I think that's different though than wanting a thing, uh, wanting someone to love you, wanting your, you know, this horse, wanting a car, wanting whatever that is, is not the same as having a burning desire to write a book. Mm-hmm. Or you know some endeavor that you want to well, pursue. Nice That's not the same like thing. That could make you feel as desperate. You know, like like I I I want to write a book as bad as I want my horse back. You know, yeah. that'd be really great. But for some reason, it's we it's not. You know, we don't get to pick the things that we fixate on like that. But what you just said, look, it doesn't matter that it's about a horse. I don't have a horse, and I could completely relate to that. That just sounds kind of like a bratty. I don't know. I don't, it's like a bratty story to tell. Well, you know what? What I what I'm trying to do in in this podcast is walking it like I talk it because I've come to really appreciate yeah. the thing that all, all the things that all people have in common. And people who are poor are always under the assumption that rich people just got it made. And yeah. Um. And vice versa. Like nobody. There's not enough compassion for the humanity of in, of like whatever you're Don, Donald Trump lays in bed at night and fucking stares at the ceiling. Yeah. And like you, you no amount of money is going to buy you peace. It's not no. going to buy you f- satisfaction, nothing, no a, like acquisition. Uh, true. You know? And when I read this a long time ago in college, that trying to answer the questions of human suffering with stuff is like trying to feed yourself by taping sandwiches, sandwiches to, to your, your face. Yeah. Or right. Or that was, or, or whatever it is. T- did Tully say that too? That was, um, God, who did, it was uh, the comedian. I, well, I heard George Carlin say it. Yes. And so right. I don't know who said it originally. And it could but be I think it was some, yeah, it was maybe like a guru or somebody I said read it, it first. Well, I, it's very possible that I, this was a book that was aimed at college students and they decided to quote George Carlin, which is yeah. awesome. But like, you know, I want everybody to relate to yeah. everybody yeah. because this is how we make progress in this world. I know. And, and I think the stories, I think this is why this is such a great thing. Um, and I, I, I think stories are how we learn. I think if you can share your story or tell a really good story, I think this American life is just, you know, what, what they're able to do with yeah. my God, you know, the, the kind of the stories that they and can come up with. You don't have to be mounting the kind of production they do to get these stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like these two fucking microphones and a laptop. That's right. Right. And That's I got right. to drive uh, the scenic route. Yes. And I'm quotation mark. Yes. Through, yes. Uh, rural Virginia which actually I have to admit and this is maybe something that I'll I'll match your horse thing or something but it is isn't maybe for a man this is his uh vulnerable yeah. but I was driving through there and I was listening to somebody telling a story and he said something about having an an awareness and awakening and I had a sudden flash of like look around you like look at this these trees look at this yeah. grass look at these houses look at this sky and I started crying like I started like Aww. getting choked up, yeah. you know, but yeah, not, that's not, awesome. You know, it was like this, it, you know, and how often do you like, that yeah. is the, like, to me, the, the greatest thing that's happened to me in my life is that somewhere along the way, every now and then when I'm really in some, like in my head, some little switch says, look at the fucking sky. Yeah. You know, look at those clouds. Yeah. Like this is, no, I, I know, you know. And I think, um, that's another thing that, you know, that Eckhart totally talks about that I've, I feel in my bones is, is a connection to nature. I think 
um, if I ever feel like I have felt God or felt whatever that, that presence is, it is only ever in nature. It actually isn't necessarily with other people. It is in a solitary moment. I live up on a mountain and it's beautiful. We've got a, you know, great view from our place and mm-hmm. I actually grew up out there. My aunt and uncle have a farm nearby and I would grow up out there riding horses. And so the same trails I go now, now on my horse or hiking, I was going down as a little girl and what that does there, there are, there just aren't words for it. It just transcends any kind of description because any, you know, nothing can really do that justice of that, that feeling of, uh, you know, the connection, the connection to to a place, a connection to Mm -hmm. something beautiful and the earth and, and animals. And, um, that is something that, that I feel so deeply, so deeply, Mm -hmm. almost, it almost hurts how, how much I, um, how much I love animals and how much, you know, I I feel whenever they're suffering, I, I feel it. Um, that's the flip side of that. But, just to your point about getting emotional about looking at the sky or when I come out of my house at night, you can see the lights and there's Culpepper's the next town up there. And then the lights at night, you know, I, it, it does something to me mm-hmm. and I, I can't even explain what it is, but it, it does. It makes me want to cry. It make, it brings up almost like a, just a, like a primal something I'm not even totally aware yeah. of. Uh, I, I know, I know that feeling and I, I keep trying to articulate it just so that it is a thing that someone else might be looking for also and maybe recognize it when they find it because it wasn't there for me until about three or four years ago. And I found myself camping. It had been when I was like 10, but like I got really befouled and led astray and my I lost that connection. And when I was like th- 41, I went on a camping trip way up in northern Wisconsin with this kind of hippie girl who had come from Portland, was living in Minnesota. And she said, I know of this lake, like way up in, in Wisconsin where, that has a sandy bottom. And I said, that sounds fucking amazing. And yet I had no idea how it was going to actually feel for me to be there. And, and I, I got out of the car and started building a fire and started doing all this shit I haven't done since I was a Boy Scout when I was like 11. And, and I could f- like really feel the trees around me the bugs, the fucking chipmunks, like all of those animals and, and all of that life around me, I could feel it as a what I call a field of sentience. Like it's not sentience in the way that we are, noisy and all of that. It's this hum, you know? And I felt welcomed by it and I felt connected to it. And it was this kind of cool thing, like I've been let back in the club, you know, through the velvet ropes. Like, this club has always been here. I could always join it anytime I wanted, but I didn't think it was cool. I had chosen not to um, come, and as soon as I was ready to be back in there, these it's welcoming. You it know? quiets you, and too. It, like, that's when we were talking about the quieting the mind. That's that's really the only... Um, the only time I've, I've really experienced just a quiet mind has been... Um, like riding my horse, you know, like mm-hmm. really fast or doing something that requires that focus on what you're doing. But it, it does something to you. Then when you, when you are done with that activity or you, when you come back to whatever it is you're doing, you, you do feel, you do, everything just seems to kind of have a place and you right. don't, you don't feel super connected to stuff. And, why you have all of these feelings is because you used to live in this system. Right. 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 But we have, we, we feel have, at home that we are, that is home. That is right. our home. Mm-hmm. But we have, but we've also got this other 
ability, and I think this is our nature as well as tool builders. And, and our survival thing is to create these things that separate us right, you know, in a good way. They allow us to transcend the very, the limiting things of basic survival of like living as an animal in nature. And we get to do more with what we're capable of, but we should never lose the connection to the thing. It's like a balance. Like you don't, you don't have to fucking totally eschew technology sure. and civilization. Sure, and, and live in and a grass hut and just, things. yeah. It's like you have to be reminded of the original thing in order to give shooting a fucking rocket right. know, to Mars Building a, a building. or you know any really yeah. about, you know? Yeah, because there are amazing things that can happen in that uh, in the other realm as well. You right. know, like this is, this is a really cool apartment. So we that, have this awesome opportunity to live in both worlds. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of value in that. I, I think, um, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, we could keep talking for a really long time. Yeah. I think we will when I turn off the microphones. But I really... Uh, is our time up? Well, you know. What time is it? I, it's, we've been going for an hour and 10 minutes. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to uh, yeah. rein them in. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just ha- we can have another conversation some other time. For the I would love that. I would love that. And, you know, maybe even have conversation. There are a lot of really, really interesting people around here. And you know, you, you can talk to me whenever you want to. It doesn't have to be a podcast. You can I know. Call me. I know. <laughs> I should. I should. I will. I really should come to Richmond. I yeah. think we should. Well, and, you know, get Jay on or something like. I could always invite myself to come hang out at your, uh, your farmhouse. With your yeah. You could. Here, you could you know? babysit. I'm. <laughs> That sounds awesome. You could show up and and I'll leave you with my four year old daughter. She you still will have horses. Yeah. Well, I have one now, so I had three and I sold I sold them. I ride a horse. I kind of know how. I've done it. Before. Yeah. Well, the one I have now, you can ride. The other ones I had, you couldn't. They were a little. They were a little sketchy. They were. They were what we call uh, high maintenance sort of uh-huh. athletes. You got to really know what you're doing. On those horses, yeah. But I just bought a horse. I was laughing. I said it's like the equestrian equivalent of a minivan. Uh-huh. Now that I'm a mom. Is I, it I, a quarter horse? No, no. She's an Irish draft. So um, she's a big, you know, but just a big heavy. That's what they usually put me on when I ride horses, the big, slow-moving. Uh, she's slow. She's <laughs> she's sweet. She's sensible. She won't kill me, you know, because, you know, and that's the other part about being a parent. Uh, we'll just end on this, is that you... Um, I I still long for like the day when I can do something maybe a little dangerous, you know, an adrenaline kind of thing and not think, oh, holy shit, you know, I got to get home to my kid. I can't, I can't die. I'm right. someone's mom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little sobering because I'm, I'm always going to be someone's mom, but. Well, look, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you got your head in the right place and all of this stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, I well, keep, keep up the good work. Yeah. Doing what you're doing. It's awesome you. talking to you. All right. Keep up the good work, everyone. Yep, that was uh, Abby Harper. And that was really nice little coffee talk. He's working it all out. Um, Yeah, so this week, uh, next episode, we got Chris Milk, old friend, local painter. Um, Looking forward to uh, putting that one up. I think you'll enjoy it. Get to get to hear us argue. That's fun. Yell at each other. Really entertaining. Um, this weekend is the barbecue. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think I might even be down there working, like helping out with that. Uh, there's going to be actual barbecue and then a whole lot of bands. Um, there's guar, of course, and there's municipal waste, and there's COC and cannabis corpse. 
a um, bunch of other bands. The 17th at Haddad's, and it's uh, $30. And then there's also a Before BQ um, Friday night, and that's going to be Apocalypse Dudes, you know, Randy Robinson's uh, Turbo Negro Tribute band, Bloody Crackdown, old Danny Black. I'm trying to get Danny Black on the show, I think it'd be fun. U.S. Bastards, other bands. I think that's Canal Club. I don't know. Look it up. It's not my job to remember these things. Um, hey, you guys, if you made it this far, I guess you listen to everything. Do me a favor. Go over by that that button, that donate page. Donate a little bit of money. Support me. Uh, doing this. Don't you want me to get better at it? Well, I can't do that. I have to get a job and support myself. Now, look, I know many of you are working also, but, uh, you know, this is work. It's hard work, and I'm trying to entertain you and illuminate you and illuminate the secrets and dark corners of life and um, make a human sacrifice in those directions. So, any little bit you can give be very much appreciated as always namaste stay